BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you'll receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bizarre Encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed to chat rooms to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media, or feel free to email me at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 64th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Tony Rodriguez. He's an author and experiencer. And uh, he's got a pretty fascinating story. So f- before we get into it, how are you doing today, man? 
I'm doing good, man. It's been a really uh, beautiful day here where I live, and I was super productive. So I'm happy to be here. It's like being on a show like this is um, puts the cherry on top of a good day already. Say, so, I appreciate you making the time to come on the show too, man. I say you had a super interesting story, so I definitely wanted to get it out for the listeners. Yeah, I wonder, uh, are, do you, so I don't know, it, you know, I haven't listened to your show before, but do you think your listeners are aware of the 20 and back phenomenon or the technology? I'm not 100% sure. I haven't referenced it on my show before, but I do know that a lot of my listeners have listened to um, my good friend Ghost, shout out to Ghost on My Third Eye. So they may be familiar with, with it or they may have never heard of it. I'm not 100% sure, but either way, like they, they definitely need to know about it if they don't know about it. <laughs> Right. Well, there's a lot of people like me that have accounts and and really there's a lot of people that have really um, really good proof substantiating, substantiating evidence behind their accounts. So there's a lot of people that ha- that are able to say things that they shouldn't know and, you know, and say that they went up there. And so there's a lot of people that have really good proof. There's a lot of people that don't have any proof that say that they participated and that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just that it's you know what I mean? For somebody that's skeptical, it's hard to watch an entire testimony with zero proof. So I, I'm very lucky at when I got my memories back and when went public with my account. You know, the timing of it was able to give me some substantiate some of the things because I remembered it before anybody else spoke publicly about a few details. And then I was also lucky that I spent the first um, seven years or so on the earth. Uh, so I was taken for 20 years and then put back and served in black programs and then a secret space program. And the first six, seven years or so I lived on the earth, it, you know, simultaneously in a dilated time, a quantum time dilation while I was, I could have met myself. So there were two of me in the eighties. I, I lived the eighties twice as a kid and it sucked both times. <laughs> so um, going into that too, is it, if you had to describe it, is it like multiple dimensions or is it almost like the whole concept of like time travel where like you can see your it's the same dimension, but you are seeing yourself at a different time? It's like consciousness transference with cloning with time travel at the end of it. So but, well, that's the first time I ever said it like that. It sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's true. But it's true. And so, like I said, don't just listen to my account. There are dozens of guys that said they went through the same thing with overlapping testimonies. But in a nutshell, uh, black programs and corporations and governments have traded extra with extraterrestrials uh, for extraterrestrial technology. And some of them have traded human lives. And the first technology that the extraterrestrials give is life extension technology, which is the 20 and back tech. And what it does is, you know, they can take you. I was taken at 10 years old and I lived for 20 years. And at the end of that 20 years, I was put through a bunch of a series of uh, procedures on the moon, on a base that's on the backside of the moon. And I, at the end of that, was put back in time. Like I was regressed to my body that I, my original body. And then I was put back in time and I woke up. So I was taken on a Thursday night in the middle of the night. The, you know, I had a gray in my bedroom and rept, the three reptilians and they grabbed me and carried me to the end of the bed. There was a flashlight and I was in a laboratory and that was a Thursday night. And I lived for 20 years and then was put back in my 10 year old body. And I woke up in my bed Friday morning, so so- a few hours later. 
do you still have like a like obviously you go back to being the same age at 10 and you don't remember the memories but you still like mentally mature in that time so like do you go back to being a 10 year old with like that same mental maturity or do you go back to being exactly how you were when you were 10 you come you go back to like a scrambled mess of both and that's exactly what you know it's wow you're the first person that really articulated that i've been asked that question roundabout you know in indirectly before you're the first person that articulated it like that it's very true that when i went back the very next day so i was 10 and this was in 82 so there was no internet i had no exposure i lived on an old farm like with a long a long light driveway and i had no exposure to culture like nobody snuck me a playboy magazine I had no idea. I had no contact with really pornography at, before that age. And I, on Thursday night, I was a 10 year old kid. And on Friday, Friday, when I went to school, I was sexually attracted to my teacher as an adult female because, and I did, had no clue what the hell, what was going on because I didn't even know what sex was really, you know? And so I knew, I knew I had big changes in me and I had, uh, I, you know, I had good friends, but I didn't really fit in when, when all my friends would do things. I, I, you know, when we all went, we all went skiing together or we all went to the bar later on, we got older and we went to started going to the bars together. I was not interested in that. I was just, you know what I'm saying? It was boring to, to me. And it seems like you keep it in like your subconscious where if they try to wipe out your, like the main forefront of your mind that's where you go back to being like a 10 year old, but you still have the same subconscious urges that you'd have. So it's like, it, would, it makes complete sense in that aspect that you would retain those subconscious urges because they may not be able to pull like back that deep and change the habits. Like, yeah, like you were saying. Another thing. So it's in the book. It, I detail this in the book is that um, during when I was working, so they would grade our, so I ended up working on basically UFOs on starships for about 12 years for a German breakaway colony uh, called the Ceres Colony Corporation, Ceres Colony Diesel Shop. So the Ceres Colony Corporation is on the planetoid series in between Mars and the asteroid belt. And it had about a quarter million people living inside of it, underground and inner like caverns that are converted into cities. And, you know, it was ran by breakaway Germans, Germans that were got away to Antarctica or wherever after World War II and had access to the space program, to space and a treaty with the Orion group that allowed them, probably gave them the territory of the Ceres colony. Um, There were other ET species that lived there and um, there was a lot that went on. So what I'm saying is that was in the, what was I talking? I forget what I said that was in the book earlier. That um, oh, so we were we were being graded on our performance. I was slave labor, and we were being graded on our performance. So I was then they would pit you against your counterpart on the ship that did the same exact job. So they had a score at the end of each day, a productivity score, and if you failed continually, you could get penalized, and if you won continually, you'd be rewarded. They had a very they had down to a science your effort, uh, you know. And one of the things that got me high on the score was to eat my lunch fast because the other guy that did my job on the up starboard side of the ship would refused to eat his food fast because of something he experienced earlier in life. And so he said, nope, he, he beat me. He was better than me at my job. And he was always, but what I did was I kind of wolfed my lunch down and got back to work. And those extra 15, 20 minutes that I beat, got over him, got me a, you know, made it where I had a higher score sometimes. 
So, you know what I mean? Is it so just what like I'm saying is and- that next day I wolfed my food down. I've been a fast eater ever since. Like it- that very, that very morning that I woke up uh, that Friday morning, I inhaled my, my mom was like, what are you doing? You know, like I inhaled my breakfast and I've been like that ever since. Like I kept that habit as well. That's what I meant to say the whole time. Sorry. Is it um like just you and one other person that you're kind of pinned against? So it's uh like literally just as a back and forth competition between you and one other person. So the ships, the ships were structured like that on series colony, the, the ship crews. So if there was one person that they needed to vacuum the carpet, they would make sure there was two so that they would make them compete against each other and they would get more work out of them. So, it's so everybody had a counterpart too. Yes. Every, almost every job on the ship, the command didn't have this system, but everybody else did. And, um, you know, it was a real carrot and stick and they made sure that when you did good to give you a, to, to reward you, you know, little, they had a, just, they had just as impressive, complicated grab bag of things to give you as they did to punish you. It was very, you know, they were very scientifically about it. They did the science on it. And so that, that's how they kept everybody working hard and it worked. So, uh, I guess for anybody that kind of just popped into this and is kind of confused by the whole concept, um, <laughs> why don't we start right back at the beginning? Like, how did, how did you get into this? How did, how did the situation happen to you? And then like, how did it progress from there? Just to kind of give people some context. On uh, 82, I was in a, like a talented and gifted program in my school in my fourth grade. And we met in the, um, libraries on Wednesday mornings and did advanced studying stuff. And um, there was a kid in there that was smarter than everybody. And we, I was like a rival. I was jealous of him. So uh, we, we didn't get along. And he didn't like me. And he said, one day, my dad's an Illuminati. What's your dad do? And he, like, he drove to school in a limousine. We're, we're a small, small town school. We didn't have a lot of limous- limousines running around. And um, at the science fair, his dad came in, was the judge at the science fair. And he pointed him out to me in the cafeteria. He said, dad, that's that boy I told you about. And that was on a Wednesday. And I, it's, I think it was on the, the next day, the Thursday night. So the following day that the night of the following day I was taken was when I woke up with a great ET extraterrestrial standing over me, smiling and three, uh, reptilian, shorter reptilian figures came at the foot of my bed and grabbed me and took me into a flash of light. And I was in a, uh, like a laboratory after that, they did tests on me and they, they told me, they told me they wanted me to help them. And they had, they wanted me to work in a career return program. That's what they called it. I remember that after Jason Rice pointed it out, the career return program. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to get a career. And they were like, no, not you. You're going to get, so you're going to have something different, but we want you to help us. Is that okay? They had, they had to get permission from me. That's what I was you know? about to ask. Cause if you had to give them permission, so they almost tried to like come at you like a salesman and try to talk it up. Like it was. Yes. And well, and I, well, cause I was like, no, I can't be gone for 20 years. They said I'd be in a career for 20 years. I'd live 20 years longer. I said, I can't be gone. I'll be, I'll be away from my mom and my sister and my dad. I was like, they'll all be grown up and gone. I'll miss my, I'll miss that my, where I'm supposed to be in life. And he said, no, 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 you're going to have time travel. And he kind of explained the nuts and bolts of it. You're going to, he's like, you're going to go home tomorrow. In the same ways, he's like, don't worry. We, we do this all the time. This is cool. You're, you're, you're lucky. You're going to live longer than you would have. He kept saying that I was lucky. I was lucky, but I really, I was a slave and I was like heavily abused throughout the time. And I was privately owned 
at my first stop, like I woke up in an element, you know, like a CIA program in Inyokern in California. And then after I, the, I kind of narrowed it down. I think it's about six months in Inyokern, six months or more, six or seven months. And then I was shipped off to Seattle and then off to uh, Porto, Tawantinsuyo, Peru, which I'm butchering the name, but Tawantinsuyo, Peru, and lived there for two years and then back to Seattle for two years. And then they sold me to the military, which was the space program. Because I'd come from the space program technology, I was privately owned. When they sold me back to the military, I went back in, into space and into that um, populace. When you were uh, like owned and doing and bouncing around in these locations, like what 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 job were you doing exactly? Just like odds and ends things, or like were you doing something in particular? So in the beginning, I was in a secret. I was in a black program. The first stop, I was in a black program, and uh, this is a great deal of evidence around. So people are like, "Tell yeah, what, whatever. Can you prove it?" Right. So I know the listeners. There's somebody out there that's thinking all of this right now, especially if this is the first you've ever heard of this. But there's a great deal of proof that I've presented. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm planning on a couple more books, the second book and then the third book really kind of being the evidence present presentation. You know, the first two books are kind of like the experience and then the kind of the aftermath of it and, you know, like a filler. And then the third book giving all of the evidence. But I've turned up a lot of evidence. I found the funding, the buildings I remembered uh, have have a, a classification that would allow the program to go in there. But I found the people that I remember and I accurately described them before I found them to researchers back in 2015, when I first got my memories back. Um, and so it was project grill flame. The funding came from grill flame, which morphed into project center lane, which morphed into project gateway. And what our project was is they, they took a dozen kids or so children all around my age and they put us through an MK Ultra spin-off, like a like a, a trauma-based mind control program to splinter, to mentally break us, to mind fracture us, and then program us to be obedient. And then they put us through like a remote viewing um, out-of-body psychic training program. And the results of that were not stellar. And so they it morphed into a program where they brought us to near death. And they would drug us to where we were almost dead. And we would channel other entities. We would speak like adults. We'd speak when I was, there were times they said I was, I would speak Spanish, fluent Spanish. And, you know, we would speak and they were getting information past and present and future. And what happened was they, when I, when I was, they sold us all off after the program was over, I went back to Seattle who the guy owned me with two other kids. And then they got sent to their stations and I got sent because I had like a Latino look to me, you know, I had the black hair and the, you know what I mean? Like I was mm. the darker one. So they sent me to South America to work there. And what it was, was the town of Porto Tawantinsuyo, Peru, as a river town was getting cocaine delivered to, well, here's what I remember is the cocaine would come off the boats a little bit at a time uh, and they would store it all in a warehouse. And when they had a plane load about once a month, they would fly it to Santa Marta, Colombia, like a 10 and a half hour flight. And I, they put me on board and they drugged me. They give me this drug and I would lose consciousness. And I was their, I was their uh, radar, you know, like if the police were there or if the weather was bad or whatever it was, I was their warning system. If anything bad was going to happen and they were channeling. And the guy that was my handler, he would have after a year, after a few months of it, he had a notebook full of questions from people in the town 
where he was like doing psychic, you know what I mean? Like a service, he was charging him money and he would ask me questions while I was under, and he was getting info and I, but I had no memory of what I was saying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first stop. And then when I got, after a couple of years that I started losing the ability, they put me under and it was just gibberish. I wouldn't say anything meaningful. So they sent me back to Seattle. How old were you when uh, this started happening, by the way? Because I've noticed something where a lot of people say that um, a lot of people will start off with like psychic type abilities and then they start losing them as they come into like maturity. So I was like curious right if it was the same 13. for you. So it had to be from 11 till 13, 11 to those years. Like I was taken, I was 10, I was taken in April of 82. So I would have been 10 years old. Uh, so quite a wise from, from turning uh, 11. Yeah. So then for there until New Year's till 83, I was in, in 83, I was in right after New Year's is when I got to Peru. So 83, 84, 85. So 11, 12, 13 years old. So, And that's what I'm thinking is I said that it was like right around puberty. They would, you know, is when I started losing the effectiveness of what they had trained me to do. And I, when they took me, when they came and picked me up and put me on a cargo plane, I, uh, I was half thought that I was going to go back into another round of the torture of the trauma base. I thought that they were going to send me back and, retrain me and I'd go back to Peru, but really they took me to Seattle and I drove up, they dropped me off in probably San Francisco and I drove up, I was given a ride. Anyhow, I went back to Seattle and I ended up staying there and I was just an orphan that they were using. And I had unfortunately experienced being uh, sex serviced, you know, a sex slave for a, in a party setting that they did. It wasn't often, it was very rare that happened. I was like an orphan kid, like living in a house with like six to eight other boys. And they would, all the boys would come and go. They were like, it was like they were being trafficked. And um, so anyhow, and I eventually got sick there. They changed our, they were giving us medicine every day and I got sick. And instead of changing the formula to back to the old one that didn't make me sick, they sold me to the military. I was, that was the exact verbiage that I was told is you're going to be sold off to the military. So uh, I went, I'll went say a random side question, but um, <clears throat> when you said that you were in these like party settings, was there anybody that you um, were able to recognize later on in life? No, uh, no. Uh, so I, I, it was like in the eight, it was like politics in the eighties. Gotcha. So, um, I don't really know who was doing what back then. And I, I've done a lot of research. So, there's a lot of information that so th- there's still people that are alive that are t- tied with that instance. Like there, there's and I've went back to the house in 2016. I I could go. I can't go to Peru, where where I've had a friend of mine that's from Lima. I think he's from Lima, Peru. I don't. And I said, let's go. Take me to this town, please. I got a hold of him, and when I got my memories back in 2015, I said dude, let's go. I need to go to this town. And he was like, yeah, he's like, that's a great idea. And then he was like, hang on. And like a couple of days later, he got back with me. He's like, dude, you can't go there. You'll kill you. He's like, you'll be dead. There's illegal gold mining and, and cocaine there. He's like, we, he's like, I can't go there. They'll kill me. He said, that's a hard no, Tony. He's like, you're not going to go to Peru or, you know, to portal to the river towns. He's like, you're not going to do that. Um, you got to have, he's like, it's not as easy as you think. And so that's why I haven't gone. But I went back to Seattle. I went to the house in Seattle in two th- in 2016. And so that was freaky. I, I flew into Seattle and I stayed at like a cheap hotel, like a Howard. I forget where I stayed, to be honest. Um, 
but that was like in town over by the Boeing area where Seattle and where the Boeing factory is. It was like, I was like a, a few blocks from there is where I stayed. And I, was, I had no idea where I was. I flew. It was the first time I've ever been to Seattle. This is provable by, by my loved ones are all witnesses throughout my life. My mom, sister, dad, brothers, they all know I've never been to Seattle. My wife and kids and all my friends and everybody I work with also can sit vouch that I never took a trip to Seattle to know my way around. Anyhow, I went there, stayed the night the first night, and then while I was in the hotel room, I was I was Google mapping, going to the house. Mm-hmm. I found the house on Google and the first on Google Earth when I first got my memories back. I started looking on Google Earth. I went, oh my God, there it is. And I was like, you know, because I I went to where I remembered. It. I got my memory. Imagine that, getting your memories of a house. And then going, oh, wow. And then that you've never known of before. And then looking it up on Google, having the, being, knowing it well enough to find it on Google Earth. And then it has swimming pool, uh, you know, a unique swimming pool. And I was like, oh, God, there it is. And I went, oh, there's that. And like I kept, it brought more memories. They flooded. So when I went back to the house the night before, I mapped the way there. Right. And I wanted mm-hmm. to go down around the bridge. And while I was driving there, the map was taking me in one direction. I said, no, this is, this is the turn. And the map was telling me to go straight. And I was like, no, nope. you know, I rented a car. I was by myself, but I was constantly on the phone with people, with Dr. Sala, who was documenting it you know, at the time. And so I turned with the way I remembered and I thought, fuck, I'm going to get lost or whatever. And I drove and it turned out that the way Google took me was over a quarter mile of dirt road. And the way that I went was the way that we always drove home. And it was the, it, when I, after I drove it, I, you know, I did the, I went the Google way to see what was the difference. And I went, Oh my God, that's right. You know, like I, the, cause I always was riding in the car. So I, you know, but it was dirt road the other way. And the way I took was a little bit longer route, but it was pavement all the way. And then right there's a, there's a, uh, like a grove of pine trees. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, we're, we're almost there. Cause I, that's what we'd always say. We were kids riding in the car back to the house. Oh, we're almost there. Here we are. And I, I was driving down the road and I saw these pine trees and I went, oh, we're almost there. And it was like 200 yards up on the right was the house. I got out, took pictures and stuff. And I was like freakishly accurate what I'd remembered. Oh, so yeah. not so not having memories your whole life of a place. So, you know what I mean? Like just this alone, like, you know, to a skeptic, I'm saying is I never had memories of this place. And then all of a sudden in 2015, I got an MRI scan on my head. And two weeks later, I got all these memories back. It's like it's that subconscious thinking. It's like, especially when you're going like a route, it's definitely something that sits in your subconscious because you don't think about it, but you know that you don't think about where you're going. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a habit. It turns into a habit. You're traveling. Um, But what I'm saying, the experience was that all of a sudden I got these memories and I'm, I'm going, that's weird. And then looking and finding the places literally exactly how I remember. Another one was in, in the town in Peru, there's a courtyard, there's like a, uh, a plaza that they put in the, in the in town there and i remember in 83 when i first got there um the first plane that we did delivery of the first uh, whatever drug run we we did paid they told me paid for it they hired bulldozers come this is in 83 so january february like february or march of 83 and they had bulldozers come and grub out the land right there and he said this is your your plane ride is paid for this he's like what we did what we did the other day is what paid for this and the kids were playing soccer in the mud and stuff. And then uh, I did an interview in Brazil 
in like 2017 or 2018, I did a, like a YouTube show in, that was in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And people that saw the show were like, I talked about that. And they they got a hold of the people that threw the show and they forwarded the email to me and they said, yes, that plaza was built in 83. We were there. I lived there. Then. And so they got confirmed. And so that was, you know, that was evidence. So how do you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, throw me a bone if, 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 how do you deal with that? How do you process that? That you all of a sudden get memories and then you, you find, you prove that they're real. They keep, keeps proving out that they're real. Like they're freakishly accurate. Like there was more in Seattle. I went to the beach. I knew my way around. I knew where the, there's a museum. I went to the beach. I knew the rocks on the beach. And I said up up, around the corner, there are bigger rocks. I'm on the phone. Set up in the corner of bigger rocks and and go up and there sure there there were bigger rocks. In in your current Brad, uh, you know who Brad Olson is. I he, don't believe he, so. He wrote the Esoteric series. Beyond Esoteric is his books. Mm-hmm. He's got three. He's got a bunch of books out. He wrote, um, but the the Esoteric series is like an incredibly detailed, you know, accounts like ancient aliens plus plus the World War II stuff. It's like all it brings it all together. Anyhow, Brad went there. On his way home, he was driving back to California after he met me at a at a conference, and he we he got a hold of me on Facebook and he did a video call, and I said I said I went I told him about the experience of going to Seattle and knowing my way around, and I said Inyo Kern is next. I need to go there because and I need somebody to go with me to document it so to prove it because I'll be able to say things that are I'll be able to describe things that I shouldn't know by never being there. But on the anyhow on his way home, he called me up and he was there. He drove there. The Ridgecrest and then Inyo Kern to the airport. And he was he got out of his car up the street and he's walking up and he said, What do you think? And I said, Well, those those big uh I said the the buildings, the hangar right in front of you has the hanging doors. They're not doors that are open up, but they hang in there on buildings. He's like, and I said, They're super tall. And he said, he showed me a picture. He said, No, they're about I thought they were like 15, 20 feet tall. And he goes, No, they're about 12 feet tall, eight, eight to ten feet, maybe they were small. And I go, okay. And I said, well, up here is a bridge and under it, it's about three, three, four feet down. Or it's like uh, nine feet above the thing. And um, there's rocks the size of grapefruits. There's round rocks laying around, laying there that are out of place. And he gets up to the bridge and it's like two feet down. So I remembered it as a big distance from being, because I was a kid. I was That's 10 what years I was old. about to say. You're looking at it from a kid's perspective, so everything yes. looks a little bit bigger. It was giant. I remember it being big. Remember how you go back to school and you go, wow, this place is bigger. It was that, and I was going through that. So anyhow, he goes, no, there's no rocks here. I was like, are you sure? Make sure you look, man, because that's where the water they had round. They're like the size of an orange or grapefruit, you know, size different rocks. And I remember those every time I'd be looking out of the window down at the ground when we pulled in at the gate. And he goes, nope, they're not here, man. I'm sorry. And I go, okay. He's like, well, I'm going to get up. He's like, I can't get in the gate, but I'm going to walk up to it. And he walked up another like 50 feet. And he goes, oh, shit, there's the rocks. And he showed <laughs> her the picture. He's like, there they are. I was like, see? I was like, yeah, we were we were cheering, you know, like each other. <laughs> and um, so that's, again, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if those memories, those memories are accurate, then I have to trust that the space memories are accurate, too. And we, I went all over. I went very far into space. It seems like anything that is planetarily provable, like you have gone to take the effort to make sure that it is provable. So like you were saying, like if you if everything's perfectly you remember everything perfectly as far as this stuff goes, then everything else must be continuous with the story. You know, doubt it because the stuff even like in Seattle when I went back to the house, it was it was even my memories were even better than I thought they were. 
you know, like I actually actually traveling there, I went, wow, I, I remember it actually. This is just how it is, how I remembered it. And because uh, I thought I'd be wrong about a lot of stuff. You know, I thought I'd leak, get stuff wrong, but it was like it turned out that it was like exact. So I have to trust that the space stuff is real too. Oh, well, so and so and I, I want you to know that I'm kind of dwelling on the proof more than I normally do on, on all these little things that checked out for your audience because i'm not sure how many people are listening or you know like want to call bs if they never if you've never heard of this stuff before you know what i mean if you have never heard randy kramer or a lot of the other guy jason rice or a lot of the other guys that came forward with this info then it's a lot to it's a lot to get your head around you know yeah. um but anyhow the space stuff is it turns out that um when the Dawn probe got to Ceres in 2016, if you, are you familiar with that? The bright spots on Ceres? Yeah. So remember that when the Dawn probe in 2016 was, I got my memories back in 15. So it was like, I'd already been talking about it. And then the Dawn probe got there and I forget, like it got close in, at the end of 15, early 16. Anyhow. And so in 2016, everybody's speculating the bright spots were cities. They're like, here we go. And then the probe got closer and we got better pictures. And when we got good pictures, I went, oh, I remember that. That's the geyser. That was a geyser there. And I'm telling this to a couple of researchers. I was working with like three people at the time that were researching me, like like, but legit um, bombarding me with questions, like skeptically, at, like hitting me with questions, trying to, you know what I mean? Like I for, it went on for like six months straight. Anyhow, I was working with researchers and I said, look, that was a that picture of the Dawn probe here, it will, uh, that NASA's almost there. There's a geyser there, and it goes off randomly between every six or nine years, six to nine years. In that time frame, randomly, it, it squirts water up, and then the water evaporates, and the chemicals that are left over is just salt and a slight amount of magnesium. And it snows back down, and that's what's accumulated there is those white spots is salt. I said, it's salt, man. And they're like, okay. And I said, just so you know, I mean, there's a geyser. We should be seeing a geyser. I don't know when. If this, and I was disappointed that the probe just died after it was. A, it was like it spent a year or six months around Ceres and then just powered down and crashed into Ceres or whatever. Whatever they did with the Dawn probe, it, it, if they leave it there, they get they'd see the geyser. I mean, you it may know, have been purposeful. Was, Maybe they saw something that they didn't want people to see, so they kind of just. Pshoo. Or they just don't want people. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I want to speculate, but I was disappointed to say the least that the that the probe isn't continuous forever for at least ten years. But um, then after the early this early high altitude passes of with their device with the instruments of the Dawn probe, NASA said, "Look, it's probably like phosphorus and uh, these other." They listed off a, chem a list of these deadly chemicals like a, you know, a cocktail of these days that it's probably something like this, like comet slur is what this is. And, and they had the, they had early analysis of it. So Dr. Sala asked me, he sends me a message and he goes, are you, do you want to retract your statement? Cause you're on record saying it's salt. And I said, Nope, it's salt. And he said, he said, but the NASA, he said, just so you know, NASA, you know, if, if it comes up with something different, this is going to count against you. You know, if NASA comes back and it's it is just phosphorus, for instance, you're gonna be you're gonna look really bad. It's gonna people are gonna have a hard time trusting you. You know, researchers. And I said, look, it's salt, man. I know. I I said this is one thing I remember. You don't forget that. You know, the geyser went off. It only and the other thing is it only goes off like two or three days, a short time. 
And so I was like, it was like a big event for us to drive by and see it. And I was standing away from my post and looking out the window and seeing this beautiful geyser shoot like 10 kilometers into the sky, into the, into the space and snowing at different speeds back down this big cone around it. And it was beautiful. And I was like, it's trust me, it's salt. I had a conversation. I remembered it clear, clear as day. Like it's a very clear memory. So he goes, okay, then that's it. And then, so that was 2016, the end of 16. So mm -hmm. August of 2020, NASA concludes it's because the it, dawn is, it took Dawn a long time to go lower, lower orbit, you know, and spiral into series. And then mm -hmm. as it got closer, it used better instruments. And NASA came back. I got the picture of the of the thing of the website. It said, "Yep, uh, it's briny salt." That was confirmed. <laughs> that just so, again even puts even more proof into your story that you're the only one saying that. And how would you? You're not like a NASA would, scientist. How would you have known that? You know? How do I know that? How would I know that exactly? How would I know that? And I, so I'm. It blows my mind too. It's like. I don't, you know, the experience of having the memories that, and and having memories of my life chronologically till my age from from my birth till now and living, you know what I mean on in my life just as regular life as Tony and then having another short lifetimes of memories and then having those check out is like, it's hard to process sometimes, man. Yeah, it, it really is. But but that was the experience. Like every, I got the memories. I asked. I wanted help, and I talked to researchers. And then we started checking things out and a lot of things have checked out. Um, I'll say hopping back into your story because it's starting to get into the nitty gritty part. Um, you got to the point where you said that the next place that you went was the moon. So like what, what continued on after that? From Seattle, I went to the moon and I was put into the military. So it wasn't like um, boot camp or anything. It was like sitting and getting drugs with an ET, drugging me and sticking me in front of a computer screen. And showing me choose your own adventure movies over and over again, and then other train other things, surgeries, and then surgeries. They I went through tons of surgeries on the moon in the early in the first month that after after Seattle. They they got to the point where they were getting I would get a surgery and then some medical procedure, and then I'd wake up and they'd put me back in my room. I get another one. Then next morning they take me in and do another one. And some of them they didn't. They didn't give me any painkiller. And I said, how can you do this? Like, they opened me up in my back, I remember. Like, it was a great deal of pain. Do you remember they what were, they were doing it for? Or were they just, like, They wouldn't say. I kept, no. They No, they were, they were, they were installing things. They were, it was not an experiment. They knew exactly, it was a procedure. Like, it was, they did me, and then the next guy came. Like, they had, a, they were running us through. But I, I would ask them, how can you do this, man, without giving me some painkiller? And their answer was always the same. You're not going to remember it anyway. Your memory is going to be deleted. So it doesn't matter. Just don't worry about it. Just shut up. That was kind of their attitude. We're like, you're not going to remember this. We can do whatever we want. You know, they, they were very, very dry and open about it to me. They're like, you're not going to remember it. What are you going to do about it? Do you think that and it so, was uh, intended to like prepare you for going to like other worlds possibly like maybe like pressures different things like that like maybe it's just yeah. like, adapting you to be in space? So right so the then I was sent from there to Mars and lived on Mars for 6 months or so between 6 months to a year of that program until it got canceled. Only a few months till the program got canceled but then I got re retrained aptitude tests and retrained but I did do missions on the surface of Mars where we were breathing the air. And that's something that that's a part of my testimony that a lot of skeptical people have a hard time 
And then one guy I did a I spoke in front of uh, Michigan MUFON on a Zoom call, and one of them and I they're very smart guys, and uh, a couple of guys are skeptics, and they were like, "Dude, I'm skeptical. I'm sorry, Tony." And I'm like, "Yes, I get it. You please." Please be skeptical because it'd be weird if you weren't. So everybody listening to this right now, if you were listening to me and you believed everything, that's weird to me. You should be skeptical. You should be looking up stuff I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like you go question everything. (laughs) Yeah, you should question me. But listen, but I'm saying be open minded about it. I'm not bullshitting you. I mean, it'll check out like it did for me. And there are other people like me. And there's, you know what I mean? I'm the I'm the tip of the iceberg. I'm not the whole, the whole subject. Um, see, so the last thing you were saying was that, uh, they were doing experiments where they're putting you on the surface of Mars and you're breathing the air. Right. So the MUFON guy, one of the skeptics, he goes, look, Mars only has 1% of earth's atmosphere. I saw, he said, I find it hard to believe that you were breathing. And I said, uh, there was actually quite a bit of atmosphere if I remember it. Right. And I said, God, I forget what I said. But after the after the MUFON talk, like after we got off air and I, I logged off, I, I was like, I remember there was a lot of air. And I was sitting and I kept thinking about it. And I'm going, and the thing was, I kind of gave him a, a snap answer because I was on the spot. I was kind of like, he, you know, he questioned me and I was like shocked by it. But I emailed him. I emailed the director and him indirectly uh, the next day because I looked it up and Mars actually one, it turns out that Mars being uh, half the size of the earth or a little less than half the size because of it's, it's a sphere and you cut it in half, the, the atmosphere actually goes much higher than it does on the earth. There's actually way more atmosphere because the planet is small. Only 1% of the atmosphere is actually quite a bit on a small world. The world, you know, you get what I mean? Like their atmosphere goes up like 150 miles or something like that, where ours goes up like 80, 80 to 110. I was going to ask too, when they did the experiments and they were cutting open your back and stuff, do you think that they may have been like making, like adding something that makes it so it was easier to breathe in different environments where like normal people wouldn't have something like that? So maybe you were like adapted to suck more oxygen out of like less or something? So that is a not a clear memory. So they did explain to me, why I was breathing well there, but it's not a clear memory. Um, sorry, this is, I live in town. There's a car flying by. Uh, it's not a clear memory because I was, I, you know, uh, really disoriented when I got to Mars. But plus the pain too, yes. and they're like abusing you and like putting you through that well, without painkillers. Your brain tries to rationalize the pain. So just off of just even if they had those memories, I'm sure that they would be destroyed memories just because you're going through trauma while that was happening. Yeah. Like we're forgetting, forgetting the painful time. Like you break your arm, you forget what happened because your arm, it hurts a bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but afterwards it was a kind of explained too. they talked about a little bit on Mars, but yeah, I, that's, that's what I suspect that the, like I said, those memories are a little bit vague that, but that's what I suspect is there, there was a treatment. They did other things too. There wasn't, there had to have been an implant. And I don't remember a lot of details about it or even acknowledge. I remember kind of acknowledging it, but it's never been in my testimony because it's like a vague. I didn't know if it was an implant or something, something else. I wore a collar too, but there had to be some sort of sort of implant that they just didn't tell me about that I had because they could make, they could put us to sleep anytime they wanted. Like they could hit a button and we'd just go to sleep. So you think it was something with your lungs or do you think it was something that was like implanted in your head so that they could even theoretically like track you if they needed to? Absolutely. Uh, like, I think that, the, I think we had a ton of stuff installed 
in, you know, like in us that we were just not aware of that there was a lot of modification, but I was just not made aware of it because I didn't need to, because I was the unit, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't the guy in charge of the unit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't independent. I wasn't sovereign. I was a, I was slave labor period. I didn't, you know what I mean? Have freedom or, or sovereignty to where I was going to access my own computer. And like, I couldn't browse the web kind of thing. So uh, before we continue on to the story, um, like when you're going through this process, I'm assuming that you like aged through this process, right? You didn't stay like the same age. That's right. That's right. And it was weird to be a little kid and have memories of seeing myself in the mirror as an adult. Oh yeah, I bet. So if they did these implants to you and then you got put back in your 10 year old body, I'm assuming like your 10 year old body wouldn't have any of these implants anymore. Correct. So here we, so right. So we're going to, I'm touched on this earlier and this is going to take us to back to cloning. So here's the, I can only speculate, man. It's like if you go in to get a surgery and they work on your liver and you wake, they cut, you wake up, they put you under and they work on your liver and then you wake up and it's like, you know, something happened. You got a scar and it hurts for a couple of days down in that area, but you don't know what happened. Mm. And that's kind of like what the process was to me when they put me back, when they originally took me and when they put me back, I kind of went through a process, but I don't know what the hell happened. The, the way I've un, the way I think about it is, it, and it makes more sense that inst- they took my, uh, they cloned me, and the clone was not was like a vegetable, like not smart. And they took my consciousness or part of my consciousness out and put it in the clone, and the clone lived the twenty years at the same time that I lived twenty years. The most common question I get is, where were your parents while you were gone for 20 years, Tony? But the reality is, is that I woke up the next morning. I was gone for one night and I woke up and I was different. The reason, there are several reasons why I think it's cloning. Late, 20 years later, so after that, I was in the top 5% of school. I was in the talented and gifted program. I was a straight A student. I loved going to school and I was smart. And the next day I withdrew that it was the end of the school year. And the following year, when I was in fifth grade, I withdrew, I was D's knees and I eventually dropped out of school. So I lost that ability, that acuity. I lost it. I did. And I was emotionally not the same. Like I was like totally emotionally weak person. And I, I couldn't date. I was like very damaged in my, in my teens and twenties at the end of when I was 30 years old, one day, 20 years later, one day I woke up, I was living in uh, south of Ann Arbor, just in Ipsy, like in between Ipsy and Ann Arbor. And I woke up one day and I went, it's over. It's over. I kept saying it. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I had this huge like inner voice like, and I felt like a million bucks. And I was like, it's over. It's finally over. And I was a different person. And it's like I got a certain amount of acuity back. So my, I got my life in order. Like I couldn't. I couldn't pay for a girlfriend before that. If I was a million dollars, I was just an emotional wreck. Mm-hmm. I was a weird guy. And then all of a sudden, like six months later, I met my wife and I stayed with her. I had a relationship. Like it was easy. Like my emotional acuity fixed itself tw- exactly 20 years later. That's what I was going to say. Do you think that's because at that point, it's almost like the timelines were corrected? Like, because, because the other me wasn't was, the be, other you after that. The point? other me was a taking resource. There were two of me drawing off the conscious, the same consciousness. So I was both conscious, both consciousnesses. <laughs> what a huge whatever word. the plural is of that. <laughs> yeah, both of the plural of consciousnesses were lesser. And when one of them died, 
the other one went back to being whole. And that was what it felt like to me. That is what it felt like. So that's one reason why I think there was a clone and they split my consciousness to drive the thing. And then it went and did its work. And then when it went back in time as an adult, that's why the memories are back in time. That's why the next day I remembered being an adult. Like they sent the clone back in time and then killed it. And so the consciousness goes back. And it was like, that's why, because in my memory, I experienced those 20 years first, like the order of my life, me being seven years old is like, you know, 70 years ago to me in my mind. When I think about it, the order of my life is my last, you know, from the age I am now back to when I was 10 and then the 20 years and then from 10 till birth, you know, like my, that's how I remember my life. I experienced the, I experienced the, the, the space 20 years first and then went back and it was like, I woke up in my life and the experience. Anyhow, the other thing is, is when it began, when I was in Inyokern, my very first stop, I had no memory. I'd lost all my memory. I had amnesia. So I was taken from my room in Michigan by ETs. They said, help us out. I said, yes. They put, did a procedure on me. And the next thing I remember waking up in Inyokern with no memory of mom and dad, or my brother and sister, or where I came from, or nothing. I had, I had complete amnesia. And then I lived for 20 years. I went to Peru. I did all that. I still had no memory. And then at the end of the 20 years... So you didn't remember your family at all during like the 20-year no, process? Nope. Nothing. Like Nothing of it. Um, but at the end of that, all of a sudden, they, did, they took me to the backside of the moon, and they did a procedure on me. And I woke up in my 10-year-old body with no memory of the last 20 years, no memory of Peru, no memory of Inukur, no memory of Ceres. All those memories were gone. And I had all my memories back on, you know what I'm saying? Like I all, I had the memory of mom and dad and my sister. And I was like, they were like, okay, you're getting ready to put you home. We're going to take you home now. You know, like I woke up and that was what it was like. So what I'm saying is I think that I was cloned. That body went for 20 years. They sent it back in time. They kill it or do whatever. And then the consciousness went back into my original body and they put, they put it back yeah, only like, a few hours later. Like correcting the timeline almost so like, yes. like how you think of it in like a sci-fi movie almost, where you have to go back in time and you can't have two of the same person existing at the same time. And otherwise yeah. the timeline needs to be corrected at some point. Well, I think I could have met. <clears throat> That's what I mean. I think I was a clone of me. And then there were two of me like physically, like, like so, one in Michigan and one in Seattle for in the years of 85 and 86. This is going to sound like kind of a weird question, but if they did clone you, um, do you think that your main consciousness was in your original body? Or do you think that your main consciousness was in this cloned body for that 20 years you were gone and your main body was still there? Like when it first happened to you in the first place, they more so like took your subconscious or your consciousness out of your body rather than like taking you as a whole, if that makes sense. That's a great question. And the, you know what I mean? It's a big question. And I got to honestly say that I don't know. I don't know. At the t That's what I mean. For, for me, it felt like when I was in, when I, when I was taken and I went into, you know, Seattle and in your current in space and I went to moon, the Mars colony corp and then on to Ceres colony corp, it felt like that happened first. Right. Like, like I was there first and that was my life and then when that ended i woke back up at 10 years old and, and i've lived until now where i'm you know what i'm saying like a straight line in my life here on earth mm -hmm. and it it that felt like i've been here the whole time so maybe my whole consciousness went and just the time travel is is the only real high-tech gimmick of that yeah i mean and, that, uh, 
that's that, possible, but I, re I re to be honest, I really don't know. So, um, after you were on Mars, um, what what was like the next step on your journey before you ended up coming back home? We went there. We were a support soldier for ongoing operations against local insectoids, insects that are live underground in Mars and they're territorial. Is this and like so, the mantis race that people refer to, or is it a whole other different race? There are many different. They can change the the insectoids. We were briefed can change their they like they can kill off a section of them and then genetically grow new ones that can dig a hole and then they'll go dig a hole and live their life doing that when the hole's done they'll kill them off and they'll grow new ones that can build something in the hole like that's how they do like they're genetically so there are many different types so depending on what the purpose the hive is doing is what type of insects you'll run into that time so is it if all different like types of insects or was it all yes. like in the same family? Like they were like somewhere mantis well, looking, somewhere yes. like, ant looking or. Yes, exactly. So there are many different types and they have, they can control the population of what they need done at the certain. So if they go to war, then they grow a bunch of war, war bugs, you know, spiders and, and the centipede one I heard from Randy Kramer said he saw a centipede one there, but um, there are many, we were briefed. There are many different kinds of them. That they, there was a mantid um, there. Anyhow, that program, they were trying to get numbers on the ground and re, and take toward the United States military, the United States Marine Corps. Was I was I was there and I was under the um, authority of a private contractor. Like the guy that was in charge of us was a contractor. He was a civilian. He was a contractor. Mm -hmm. And then we were there. There were there were officers. There were guys that were like colonels or whatever. And there were military, there were Marines, soldiers. And we were in an underground base uh, somewhere remotely on Mars away from their underground cities. And then when they they canceled that program, we had combat, we had combat missions and they found that the bugs, the bugs adapted to the strategy too fast. So they expected the, the to adapt to our strategy and they had another thing, you know, to go, but they said the bugs just adapted too fast. They couldn't keep up with it. So they canceled it. And then from there, we waited. I was waiting. I had like a lame duck. I had nothing to do for like six weeks and, you know, just stayed in my room basically for six, me and the guys, like a dozen of us. And um, then they flew us to an underground city, which was huge. There were thousands and thousands of people. It was, they were domes that were underground. And um, like human beings at, at this location? Yeah. Yep. It was like, and it was a city. It was a full on, there was, there were, there were, Water waterfalls and palm trees inside, you know, it looked like a shopping mall, big areas that were underground and you'd go. And I was taken there and an ET, a white um, looking, like a white looking tall gray was like the teacher. And I was taken and given aptitude tests to see what I was good at. And then it retrained me. I ended up in ship maintenance, <clears throat> like a skilled, skilled labor. Mm -hmm. um, ship maintenance and I was showed as a movie system they plug you in to a computer and you watch movies and it's this or this one this one or this one and you stare at no mouse you just stare at the answer and it starts this your answer yes and then it goes on the movie plays on well that was wrong here this is why and then it would go to the next one and that was the educational system and I did that for a long time a couple months and got trained for my job and then they shipped me off to Ceres Colony. When I got there, um, 
it was a predominantly German military colony uh, with there were places that were civilian there were big cities there as well all in caverns under underground on the series colony dwarf planet um but it was it was mostly like a military existence and i was there for another for like 12 years after that a uh, random side question these locations uh do you think that they had been around since like the nazis theoretically came there or do you think that there were locations that had existed previous to that and the nazis just kind of came to these locations the series colony so a lot but we were all aware that the hangar the ship hangar that the airlock that would the ship could move come into like giant ships could come inside and it was a big airlock system that it was advanced and every they they everybody openly stated that an ancient they were there for millions of years and an ancient race had built them and there was a huge hangar area like 19 kilometers long that um, that we were in that where the ships were stored. And then we took trains that went back to our barracks and there were cities. There was a train route that went all the way around the inside of the uh, planet that had city, you know, towns. I, I'm calling them cities. Some of them were big and some of them were just very small little, you know, like a couple apartment buildings worth of stuff at the train route. And that's it. And some of them were a big cavern that would have a town actually built into them. I was going to mention that they had artificial gravity and I was always, I was always in awe of the uh, millions and millions of square feet of powered flooring that was underneath concrete. It was underneath, um, you know, sidewalks underneath marble, big things underneath carpet. It was all powered and it created, there was the flooring that created grav mats, the gravimaton, the gravity plating. I called it plating, um, it pretty much but, like suck you to it. Is that kind of the idea of how it worked? It was like gravity. It, it just it felt it? like gravity, just like we are, in, in, just like you are right now. It felt just like that. And they they had a way of, I think it went like um, 10, 10 meters up out in when you were out in public. It was ten meters. If you threw a if you threw a frisbee and it went greater than thirty feet up, it could keep going. You <laughs> could throw. You know what I mean? You could throw mm. your frisbee away. And I was in a gymnasium where they would throw guys would trick and throw their volleyball up and it would stay at the ceiling. Like, like you had to throw it just right because it would hit the ceiling and it would go into the no gravity and then hit the ceiling and come right back down. So if you threw it just right, it would just sit there and you'd lose the ball. So they would do that in the phys ed. We had phys ed. Um, but they had a way on the ships. They would take the gravity and the. I was showed a. Do, I was showed a graphic once by the doctor, and he was testing me for hips. My hip. He's like, "Do you have any hip problem?" Because I got sore from standing, and I said, "No, my hips are fine." He said, "Well, that's what happens if you. Some people have to stand in the same area where the gravity is. It's just the way that their flooring is, mm-hmm. and they, what it is is on a ship. Instead of going through the ship and making it heavier on the next one up, they turn the beam sideways." So that they crisscross. So it's a 10, you know what I'm saying? Like here's the gravity beam. They turn it like that. So when you, and then turn it down. And when you walk, if you have to work in a place where the beam is crossed right on your hips, then your hips weigh more than the rest of you does for, there's like an effect and people have got injured from it. They got a working injury from that, from the fake, from the artificial gravity. But it was amazing because these caverns were huge, man. I mean, I'm talking about miles uh, that it went along with the floor was giving gravity. There was a place where we went that was a um, 
I had a girlfriend there and I went, when I would go to visit her, she, she lived in an apartment that was a, was, they was millions of years old. It was a, a room, rooms, uh, an area in a cavern that had been there and they, they went in and converted them to apartments and the door could read your, like you could, the door was mentally controlled. Like you would go there when you, like when I went to her apartment, I would be outside the door and say, I'm here. And then the door would tell her telepathically that I was there. And she could, and she told me that she could make it hurt me. The door? It would give you, yes, it would cause you pain until you left like a Bluetooth range. Like if she get out of here and the door could hurt you, you'd get a headache, like a deep, like a sharp pain in your head. And until you got like 20 or 30 feet away from it. And it, you know, she said she could do that. She never did, but it, and then she would open it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's how it worked, but it was the, the door and the room that she was in was already existing. And then they put, it had an apartment and it was a small studio, but that where it was, was a long vertical cavern. And I always remembered. So we had like a, they had like a sidewalk that they built outside the doors and they were, you know, it went down, there was an elevator. And when you stood at the railing, I was aware, you know, I would just, just sit there and, and think like you couldn't even see down. It went, it went for, couple miles you couldn't see the bottom you could see the lights from the other uh the other walkways for underneath you mm. but you couldn't see the actual cavern and it wasn't that big you know across but i always thought man you could jump out you could go out there and be in microgravity and i could push off and go to the wall and then push back and end up probably down under a level or something and i would be in no gravity for a minute because i always wanted to do that and i I passed up a couple chances to be in zero gravity and I always regretted it. You know, I always wanted to try it. I later on, I got the courage and I never did. Uh, and I always wanted to jump off or thing, but I would get in trouble. And that, you know, the other thing was you could get stuck. There are people that got stuck in like you, we had, they had air and everything, but they got stuck in a room in zero gravity and died from it because they couldn't get out. And nobody, nobody checked on them. So they just, whatever starved to death and died because you can get stuck if you get to if you get to where you can't get you know what i mean you mm -hmm. can get stuck in, in a big enough cavern there's nothing around you you know if it's a big enough room you can get stuck in it so we were always told that like don't go in there you're going to get stuck don't go in the microgravity you get stuck up there. Hmm. so it's kind of kind of crazy too i was thinking while you're talking about the um cross beams it seems like in a lot of like movies and different things they they do have that structure so it kind of makes me wonder if uh they are doing that intentionally to try to kind of disclose things slowly but surely or if it's just uh another kind of like weird coincidence or if again maybe the people doing the movies are aware of these things and so oh i'm blown away some movies some movies have actual stuff and the the people, the actor and the director, and they don't know. But then I'll see, you know, the movies, they give you one or two things that are true that they know about that. I've, clearly in the effect, special effects business in Hollywood, there are inside, there are secret space program insiders, clearly. What's uh, I mean, some of the ones that you've seen that you feel are like ideally perfectly to what you remember? Well, uh, they have a series colony on, the show the expanse and the very first episode they showed a few scenes of the streets on series and when i was leaving the last the last six months or so no the last year within the last year that i was there they were just starting to put the digital skies in in the in the smaller um caverns where there was like a shopping there was like a shopping mall area 
and it had a, the caverns. Some of them, you couldn't see the top. They would shine lights up there, and it was just black. You couldn't see the top of the cavern. And what I was told that they were doing was they were shortening it and putting a fake canopy like that, like Fremont Street, like like is it Fremont Street in Vegas that has the big yeah. uh, screen? They had they were putting those screens, but they on the screen they would only show blue skies and clouds going by, like that was it. It was it didn't have the Vegas show with the video the, the video game stuff. And uh, but it was just clouds. And then the other caverns, there were a lot of caverns, the short ones, the smaller caverns, like I said, that were a smaller area. You get off the train stop, they had the sky painted on and they had lights and they would dim the lights at night. You know, like there was a day and night there, but they they painted blue skies and um, clouds on a lot of the caverns that all the short ones. And so anyhow, they were just starting to do that. But in the show, The Expanse, they have they have a they show they show an area. And the other thing about that scene in The Expanse, you'll know if you guys see it. Um, it's in the very first like 15 minutes of the very first episode of The Expanse. And then they show the street and the streets were the same. They had the little plants. They had a little crosswalks and a tiny street, like only enough room to put like a four wheeler. Um Going going down. They had they had electrical. They had electric six wheeled vehicles that looked like the John Deere, like the little, like the little side by side with mm-hmm. a truck. It was a tiny truck. And that was the EMS. That was the police and the and the ambulance. And you they had a little tiny road in between the sidewalks and the streets, like uh, ten feet wide. And it would uh, you were not allowed to walk in it. You'd get in big trouble if you stood if you jaywalked. They would you'd be in trouble. So on all these different colonies and things, then it <clears throat> like no normal people had like vehicles. I assume then it was all just um, like you pretty much walked. They had trains. The they had trains there, and then you they were taxis. So I explain this is that um, you could go to places, and there would be like it looked like a barge. It looked like a boat, like a like a pontoon boat mm-hmm. with seats with rows of seats in it, and it was like um, like graphite looking plastic. And it would sit on a rail, and it was a taxi. And so it would sit on a rail, like a slit, like a like skis on a rail. The rail was the skis. It would sit there, and when it loaded up, you had to pay to get on it. You load it up. It would then the rail was a was a hydraulic post that would raise it up out of the gravity, and then the rail would come down, and it just had fans. You know, it had electric fans, mm-hmm. and it would fly to the next spot. And then it flew flew to its post, and it would go down, and then it would lower down into the gravity, get it off. So they were sky skyborne taxis, and that's the other. That's what I was gonna uh, elaborate on is that the taller caverns. I was told that the taller caverns have a fake sky installed, and then above that is where the taxis are gonna fly. So you couldn't even hear them or see them. They were gonna be behind the fake sky. So they were, you know. And I we everybody was always complaining like it's such a shame the caverns are beautiful. The taller caverns are the best ones. Like that was the most desirable place to go was to where there was a tall cavern. And they were covering it, felt, it up. <laughs> and they were covering up with a digital sky so they had room for the taxis. Yeah. <laughs> so uh this is gonna sound like a totally off question. And I know you didn't spend a lot of time on Earth during like this whole process, but uh considering that there's all these different colonies that have um alien intelligence there, um, is there any colonies that you know of that are like the reverse where there might be like alien beings living like on colonies on earth 
Oh, yeah. Well, there's colonies inside the earth. So we did trade. We went to the Katerina Mountains in South America and we went inside the mountain. There was a there was a like a holographic uh, fake false mountain at the t- at the top of an un uh, of a, it was supposedly. So I, I only got on the ship when we were inside and looked up at you could see the sunlight coming in the cavern, but it was very deep in the mountain and there was a ledge and then it went to a cavern and we would meet another species there. They were a humanoid inner earth species. And we would meet them and they would come and trade. We'd drop cargo and they would give us cargo. So what they were doing was using us as proxy to trade with people that they weren't legally supposed to trade with. Like it was a bootleg operation. And and so we would meet them there and they in the Katarina Mountains. But that was uh that they were on Earth. The high command for us for the Ceres Colony, the German, the Ceres Colony Corps, and the Middennacht Waffen, the uh, zero hour. They mm-hmm. called it zero, zero Hour was the name of their organization. Their high command was in Antarctica. And so there were ETs there with them as well. Like under the ice in Antarctica was where high command was. But um, I was about to ask about that, too, because if you look on look at Antarctica on Google Map, it looks like there's a big circle in the middle that's just like covered up by things. So I was wondering if there's some type of like entrance there. And that's why, like, obviously, a lot of people can't go there. And if you do tourists there, it's only specific areas along the outside of Antarctica of the continent. Yeah, Antarctica is really, um, really heavily um, treated. So you can't just go there. You can't just go there and wander around. They'll get you. But um, we, the ship, I remember the thing that stands out to me is that we would always schedule three or four stops in on South America, and then we'd go to Antarctica. So we would go underwater and I hated it when the ship went underwater because it would, it would make noises. The, the, the anti-grav field around the ship makes the water weigh nothing. So it's easy for the ship to push it out. So it's absolutely no danger of the ship being something bad happening. Even if it ran into a whale, the whale would be weightless and it would just bounce off the ship. It wouldn't damage <laughs> it. So that was how the physics of that worked. Um, but the ships, because it did have water and not not vacuum or or air around the outside, the mm-hmm. hull would flex a little bit and it would make popping noise. It would go, and you could hear it echoing, like you would like you might imagine in a big tin can, you know, like in a big ship, mm-hmm. like inside of inside a cruise ship or something. If it flexed, you it made a pop, and it was terrifying. I was I was terrified of it, you know, like I was I hated it. I was like, man, I hate this. And that was whenever we did the trip, we we went to high command. We went underwater to get there. So also, too, how many uh, different species of beings can you think of that you had contact with or that you know exists or that you know that we have have contact with, even if you didn't necessarily like meet with them? So I get that question a lot. The, how many ETs did you meet kind of thing? And I wasn't allowed to interact with them on series colony, but I did stand in public. You know what I mean? Like next to next to ETs all the time. And they came from all over the place. So this is where my testimony kind of um, is different than a lot of people. And I think that before I say before I say this, I just want to say that I think that the narrative that the government, that the CIA, I, you know, the people that infiltrate the UFOlogy field, I think the narrative that they want to give us is that there's only X amount of ETs that get here, you know? So they, what they want, what basically they want to say, look, there's ETs and we, we are working with them, but there's not that many. Yeah. Cause we they're already... saying, uh, what <clears throat> during, um, 
shit, what was that meeting back in the 60s after Roswell with the president? They said there was only like five or six different like species that yeah. we're in contact with at right. that time. Right. So the reality is, is that, uh, where do I begin? I just want to not screw this up. So <laughs> I want to explain this so everybody can understand what I mean by this. This is big. And this is different. This is what I say that's different than everybody else that talks about. Our ship would leave series. We'd get, I'd got up in the morning, the alarm went off and I'd shower and get on the, get dressed and get on the train to the hangar. I'd go to the hangar bay and then I'd sit in on the mission briefing for the day because I, I ended up being promoted. My last few years there was cargo engineer and I had the port cargo base that I was in charge of. So I had to have the report on how much space was available and I got the stop. We're going to have five stops today, seven stops today. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I would ask, and then I, sometimes I'd get to walk with somebody back to my, back to my post. Um, aren't we going to run out of people to trade with? We were doing trade. Our mission was not to seek out new life and new worlds. Our mission was to acquire advanced technology by any means necessary to trade goods for tech or tech for tech or people, for anything we could, or steal it. And we would explore and make, re make reservations to go to other star systems and then offer them a, we had sample packages. We would offload a little boxes like totes, like a bunch of like a van load of totes worth of stuff. That was our sampler. And then we would uh, drop that off. What kind of stuff was in there? Uh, everything not to cut you that off, they but... could trade. Well, they were sealed. I never really looked, but they were like everything. It was like pharmaceuticals, um, medical stuff. There were gone. There were weapons. Like everything. human technology, or was it yes. like also technology that we'd also acquired? Just straight human technology. Right. Well, tech. Yes, it was gotcha. what they could would trade. So they had a sample pack, and they had they we had. Uh, they were lettered. They were sends, you know, like A, B, C, D. We had like five of them, A, B, C, D, E packs. And they were, some of them were just a couple boxes. And, you know what I mean? Judging on the level of tech that we thought the other species was. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, to get back to your question, how many species are we dealing with? Um, so we would do those. And I was fully aware that we would go to start. We went to other galaxies. There was a portal. There was a natural phenomenon near Jupiter that would allow the ship to go to like 18, 18 or 19 other galaxies. And then you could find the same phenomenon in those galaxies and go to 18 more. But we went there and back in the same day. We'd leave in the morning and we'd go and come back. And I would ask, I'd say, there were times when we, when we, we had to go, there's like a bulletin board of species. There's a trading, there's a space station around Jupiter, near close to Jupiter. And in there is an inner galactic bulletin board of species planet systems that are willing to trade and it's like a giant uh, post board you know mm -hmm. what do they call those you know what i'm saying yeah and i said uh, we had we had one uh, where we were supposed to go and we just didn't go like in the it got can't we got held up at one stop so the next stop they said we're not even going to go to that one we'll go so the next day i asked i was like what happens when we run out of places to go right to an officer like the corvette captain corvette officer and he goes, he took, he looked at me a minute and he goes, look, he said, currently, I forget what it was. It was like, there are two dozen ships, two or three dozen freighter ships like ours, two dozen freighters from the series colony that are going out every day to seven, five to seven places. And he said, now, if we, if we had 10,000 ships and we went to 10,000 places a day, 
it would be in millions of years before we got to the bottom of the list. He said, <laughs> he said the list is trillions of worlds. He's like, it's literally, it's like a trillion worlds that are uh, in that database that, and, and you, what he said, what it was, they weren't, there wasn't trillions in the database. There were billions in the database, but each one of them led to it. You could go there, you know, like every so often, one of them had one of those space stations with another billion worlds. Do you get Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So we had access. He said it was trillions. He said, we'll never get to the bottom of the list. We'll never run out of worlds to trade with ever, ever, ever. He said the numbers are staggering and we can access all of them. We would go there and we would be back the same day. And we would leave many times we did an anti-telephoning mission. It was anti-telephone, they called it. We would leave at 8 a.m. and we would get back at 7.55 a.m., five minutes before we left. So that way, if the ship was damaged, they could cancel the mission and the ship would just disappear and we'd never leave. We would They would scrub the mission. I was going to ask this, too, and since you brought that up. Um, time, like when you're in these different locations, uh, did time work differently? Did you go off a different basis of time or did you go off of like our standard time just universally, just so that we kind of had an idea of where we were? I did a couple away missions and, um, the one was very time dependent and the captain made sure we all had wristwatches and they, they were all big, the command crew, they were all big. Like they had Rolexes and Omegas, like they had to wear their watch. Time was a big deal. It was like, the name of the, the the name of the Nazi group is called Zero Hour, and they you know the Midnachtwaffen, midnight the Midnight Fleet, because midnight is what they said. They said now we can travel time. It's always zero hour. There's never any time. It's zero hour always because we can we can be any time. We we can be anywhere and any time we choose. So it's always midnight. It's zero hour, and zero hours here. That's what that was our thing, you know, like that's their military, their thing. Mm-hmm. Zero hours here because, and they renamed it that when they got the ability to travel time. Like so, when they got. So they used the it more as like a construct then rather than it being like an actual literal time at any given time then? Right. Well, um, no, I'm saying that was the name of it, but because they could travel time, they could alter time. They gotcha. could alter their own, they could avoid bad things. Um, the, but there was a lip, there was a limit on it. Apparently there is, it is, there is a, there was a, not a species, but there's an intelligence that doesn't live in time space with us. It's like, like a non-corporeal beings that police time. And in the beginning, back in the fifties, when they got time travel, when series colony got in the forties or fifties, when they got time travel, they were really aggressive with it and they tried to do some big things and they got punished. He said that, um, you know, there's punishment. I said, why don't you guys just go back in time and take everybody's stuff and be super awesome? Just go back. You know, I says, why don't you just go back and take all the tech, you know, go back in time when it, before it was invented and be there. And he said, we'll get in trouble. He said, can you imagine spending a thousand lifetimes as a, as an animal that's suffering or a thousand years? He said, somebody was taken somebody in the beginning when they broke the laws these these beings came and took him out of his body and made him live a miserable existence as like a a uh, a rat or some you know some small animal and he lived it for a thousand years and then they put him back in his body and said don't do it again until you know he was like the president of the place he was the fuhrer like they took they took him the guy that made the decision to go to break the law and go back and do the time travel 
and they took him and made him live a thousand years of a, of a horrible existence and put him back and said, don't do it again and tell everybody else, don't do it again, or we'll do, we'll be back. And so they had, they had it down to a science of what they could get away with or what they couldn't, they could, they could anti-telephone a day and there was like a loophole in the law that let them get away with it. So they could either cancel the mission or send the mission. That was it. So considering that there was like a being that's outside of our like construct and stuff, does that like, I don't know. Did you ever get kind of the idea that, um, like, how do I even try to word what I'm, what I'm trying to say here? Um, I don't know, but it's going to be good. <laughs> like, there's outside forces that are outside of our laws of existence. So that being said, do you think that those possible beings could be controlling the idea of, like, everything that possibly happens, almost like our reality isn't even as prevalent or as as important, I guess, as their reality because it's almost like they're just like watching something and if people start fucking up the game too much then they just are like all right this is not supposed to happen this is how it's supposed to happen so even off that it almost makes it seem like everything's already been predetermined if there's again that that realm outside of our realm like the like a destiny um what it did for me when i thought about those when i heard that and that guy explained that to me what it did for me was so they pushed atheism on us. Like from day one in Inyokern, they asked me if I believed in God. And I was like, yeah. I didn't know why I said that. But, you know, I mean, was, I had complete amnesia. I said, yes. And he said, we'll take care of that. So there was a heavy, like a, like a heavy satanic thing. The people in Seattle, the house I was in in Seattle were having satanic rituals. And it was more, more than likely a, more of a technology than a religion. Um. But there was a heavy atheism when I got to Ceres Colony. They were heavy on atheism. There's no, there's no creators, no nothing. When you die, that's it. And you know, it makes sense to do that to them. You know, to a military to make them not have any empathy for killing something, another being that's even an, an advanced being. If you believe in God and then you're fighting an advanced species that has telepathy and telekinesis and is beautiful, and you're killing them. It's like it would be hard to do that and maintain your faith, right? Yeah, exactly. But because I knew about those beings that did that, I thought to myself, I always had I always had a belief in a creator of the universe, that a main intelligence, a creator God. I always had that. During that 20 years, I always had that kind of inner belief. I questioned it, but I always had it. I always believed. And I didn't know why. You know, it was like a natural thing to do. Like, um I feel like it's almost in human nature to begin with. It was in my nature to believe that there's a there that there's a grand creator of the universe, deity, and uh, that's that's what I felt. So what I'm saying is those things really reinforced that back then, and um, they almost seem like the foot soldiers of the possible creator being. Because I mean, even if you're looking yes. at it from like a god perspective, like we humans put a name on something, but it doesn't mean that it's literally like a human being, giant human being, God, or whatever you want to say. Like, it could be mm. something completely beyond our realm yeah. of comprehension. And maybe these, like, things that alter time are almost like what we would call, like, angels, you know? But they're just, like, a totally different thing that we had to put a title on, you know? And I think that we don't magic. have the... I think that we don't have the... Um, <coughs> the ability to think about time travel correctly. I think that mentally, mankind doesn't have the ability to think about time travel scenarios. And be, we just don't have because we're in we are beings that that are in our time what it is our minds our brains haven't had to mm -hmm. like like in all of the history of mankind we don't have to think about time travel so we so we're not built for it we're just not taught any of the basics we just don't know it 
And but I so we also see the creator of the universe. We see a God with our from our own. We can't create comprehend that either. You know, like really what's it? So it's just it was just um, it's important to know that life is pretty much everywhere. And instead of a few races or just just the Pleiadians or the Arcturians, like everybody's a Pleiadian these days. Mm. That's not the only place that people incarnate from. That's not the only place that's got inhabitants. It's like every star in the sky has a civilization. You know, uh, the ratio was what um, seven out of ten. Seven out of ten stars in the cosmos has an Earth around it. That's this frequency of how often there's a a biome, a planet with a giant atmosphere that you can live in. The rest of them still are inhabited. If they don't have an atmosphere, people move into them and just burrow in and go underground. So the, every star you see, even if it doesn't have an Earth around it, it still has somebody living around it because there are resources there and we, they've been at it for millions of years already out there populating it. So mm-hmm. there's that many. When you look at every star and then you look at all the, you know, the James Webb, you look at the deep field, like that's the scope of intelligent spacefaring civilizations. Like there's that many pretty much um, everywhere. Yeah, so that's a big deal. And then if you think about that, then outside of that, like I said, these non-corporeal beings. So there's a lot of our, there's a lot to our existence that is way more exciting than what we've been led to believe. Yeah. And then the more you ask, the more questions there are that I think of too. And I just want to keep digging deeper into it. Um, one thing I was wondering too, considering that you said you kind of like popped around our solar system, um, you were talking about how there was like the satanic uh, sex party type scenarios. Um, a lot of people link that back to Saturn worship. So having like that knowledge of hmm. the universe as a whole, um, do you, is there something to Saturn? Um, is it just like a made up thing that people just keep, keep kind of digging into? Um, or is there... I don't know. Is, is there like a link, an actual link that you know of between Saturn we and Satan worshiping? We weren't allowed. No, I, I'm not aware of a link between between the actual planet. We weren't allowed to go to Saturn. We did sneak. We we snuck in where we were. We like we crossed the line and went there, even though we we had a treaty that said we wouldn't. We went. I, I believe it's Enceladus. We went there to see the geysers. All the geysers are going off through our ship kind of went there fast, flew by them and flew out of there, even though we didn't have jurisdiction there. We were not supposed to go near Saturn at all. We were, we were, we were not allowed to go to Pluto. There's a species there that's hostile towards us, not humans. Do you think that that's have, why we uh, discredited as a planet as humans? Do you think like we knew about that? And that's why we're kind of like, all right. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But they were hostile to the series Colony Corporation. So gotcha. I don't know about all humans or us, but we it, Pluto was... <clears throat> We had um, the Ceres Colony Corporation had chunks of ice out in the Kuiper Belt that they had hollowed out and made into warehouses because we just didn't have real estate put things like there were cargo. There were many times we flew out there and then we had to fly back in. We didn't jump in. We flew straight line back into the solar system and it was a long flight. So we we always joked about like, why can't we just use Pluto to put our stuff? And then we were everybody was aware that we weren't allowed there. We were not the same. It was the same with Venus. And uh, any other whistleblower that says that they've been to Venus, I, um, some of them are credible, some of them, uh, but people that said they went to Venus and got in these space battles and they went there and kicked ass, I don't believe that for a minute. Well, um, um, there's nobody's kicking any ass on Venus. So Valiant Thor claimed to have been from Venus. Is Do, do you have confirmation that, that that's like what the species is that is on Venus? 
It's no, like a hu- but, almost like a human like being. No, but the thing the thing that I was told was that everything that was there, the species that was there was on beat up was so advanced that there was no military action that, that could be done there with our technology. So do you like, do you think Valley and Thor actually did come from there? I don't know. I've never had any contact with Valiant Thor. Like I've heard the testimonies. Like you know, I'm, I'm I've met Rob Potter. I've hung out with Rob, and he he's met him, Valiant Thor, back in the past. And um, you know, Elena Danan uh, talks to has channels or has an implant that lets her talk to Val Thor and a few others. And so their information checks out. But me personally, I didn't have any contact gotcha. or anything like that. So I don't I don't you know I can't confirm them to diet right. Um, all I know is that the Ceres Colony Corporation, the, the sh- our ship, the Max von Laue, could not go to Venus. And if we were, if our entire Draco army went there, if all of the Draco fleet went to Venus, they would get their butts kicked, and they knew it. So they were greatly up. And the Draco fleet is pretty formidable, very van- very powerful military that could beat even advanced races because it was they had the numbers. And so they were aware. They said that they did, couldn't even do a put a scratch in Venus. Um. So Saturn is there? Did they did they mention like a certain species being there? Did they mention like a reason why you couldn't go to Saturn? It was it was a black, it was a black, um, subject. So there was no info really. We weren't allowed to go there. There it was another species, like a jurisdiction, a species. What it, here's what it was: the places we weren't allowed to go didn't have slavery. They didn't allow slavery and we had slave. We were slaves. We had the Ceres colony, the German, the, the Deutsch. They, they really, they really didn't call themselves German. They called themselves Deutsch. They had slavery. And so the colonies in the solar system, there were places where it's illegal. So they're just not allowed there. And Saturn, Pluto and Venus were like that. And uh, they had a diplomatic, um, we had a diplomatic station on, on Ganymede that was there, but for the most part, slavery wasn't allowed on Ganymede either. Um, so going to, to, to Saturn back on that one too, um, did you happen to get any information like at all, like any, hear any stories, anything like that? Or was it just completely like blacked out where nobody really knew anything besides people that were in the know yeah everybody wanted to go to saturn we all wanted to see the rings and um, we talked about that but it was kind of like we weren't allowed to talk about it um it's we so it was also a civilization <laughs> oh i'm this is not funny but we had our own fact checkers and so there were things you weren't allowed to talk about everybody knew that there was life on earth mm-hmm. but we were told that the earth had been destroyed there was a. It was the lie that the Earth would have been destroyed, so the kids in school on series would go to would grow up thinking that the Earth had been destroyed. And when they joined the military and got on the ship the first day of the briefing, they got briefed that the Earth was still alive. So a great deal of the a great deal of the population knew that the Earth was not destroyed, but the public face of it to the kids and to people that were the slaves were that Earth was destroyed. There was no Earth. Is that like for the idea of like giving up hope to them where they don't think that they're going to go anywhere? So maybe they'll spend more security. time and dedication into where they, where they are currently. It was a security policy. Yep. So no one would try to escape there or whatever, but our ship went there. We traded, we did, we went to Diego Garcia and the, and, you know, oh, as you said earlier, we went, you know, to the Caterina mountains and uh, 
to Antarctica, but we did most of our trips. Most of the cargo I picked up and offloaded was at Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean. We went there actually quite often. Sometimes we went two, three times a week, and then we wouldn't go for months, and then we'd go back to once a week. You know, it's like it was it was random, but um, sometimes we went there very often. <laughs> and the, re the reason I remember it is we made a joke of it. That's this is one of my very first early memories. This one day we uh, we were on our way. So what's the next stop? And the guys are we're in engineering or in uh, um, you know cargo. Mm -hmm. The car upstairs above the cargo bay was a little deck, and it had all the in where the engineers were, and we put the, the data in. And but anyway, a few other guys came up there and said, "Where's the next stop?" And so we're we're going to Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean, and we started laughing. And he said, "That's a." What is that? A Spanish first name and, a, and a, an Italian last name? And a, no, another guy said no. It's an Italian first name and a Spanish second name, <clears throat> with a, a, in the Indian Ocean. And then we said, well, we're on a German ship going there to pick up uh, Chinese cargo off a Russian boat at an American air base that's <laughs> got an Italian first name and a Spanish second name in the Indian Ocean. And we all started laughing. And so every time we went there. We said that we we tried to add and make that longer that whole <laughs> joke, and we did it every time you know like every time we went back to Diego Garcia. So we'd always go there in the middle of the night, and we we went on the smaller tarmac, and there would be two U.S. officers there. One of them was security, and the other made us sign a sign a receipt. Somebody had to sign, and we would take their cargo and go. So uh, I guess starting to get towards the end of the show. Um... Before we get into like all the information about your book, so everybody can come and find that if they want to, I always like to do uh, words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there's any words of wisdom you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what would it be? So we're in a we're in a we are in a turning point in history. We're in a very we are in a bottleneck of history. You know, like it was Lenin or Stalin or one of the communist guys, I forget who said that. Um, some decade, some days take a decade and some decades are made in a day. Some decades happen in one day. Some days uh, or take decades. You know, some things in a day takes a decade, whatever. Mm -hmm. We're in one of those days where the whole decade's happening. You know, like we're in a turn. We're like the last, the, this 10 years that we're in is going to determine the next 500 years of mankind or where we're doing or what's going on. You, can, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. we're at a turning point. And so we're all here for that. We're all here. It's like you, we could be here alive at the most important time in all of mankind's history. We're in a, we're the disclosure generation because people like me are already disclosing whether they, we get the official disclosure or not. It's already happened. Anybody can access this information. It's free information. Now there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, that's even why in the I was so happy. You see how hard that they just like they trickle it out. So you, you can't even deny it looking at the mainstream yeah, anymore. But they've already disclosed like this, like the scientists. <clears throat> I remember being in the astronomy club and the scientists would go, well, that's great, but prove it. Yeah, there's a UFO break. Prove it. Well, now it's on the video from the F-18s, from the government, from the Pentagon saying, here's your UFOs. Here's a Tic Tac UFOs and here's its speed. It's going, you know what I'm saying? It's breaking mm -hmm. the laws of physics. So now the scientists have nothing to say. We have the physics. They have to prove the physics. It's the burden of proof is on academia now, not vice versa, like it's always been as we've grown up. So we live in that time. We live in the most important. There's no coincidence that you're alive now. And I'm talking to everybody listening. There's no coincidence that you're alive right now because this is an, you're witnessing something very big happening. And we're going to see it, man. It's going to be, we're going to get, 
the trickle, like you said, but I, we were talking off air and I feel, feel that um, the future will happen quickly. Once there's a disclosure, once a, once a tiny drop of disclosure, it's all just the, the floodgates are going to break. <clears throat> there's that. And then, um, you know, just uh, like I said, don't just take my word for it, man. Research this stuff. If it interests you, if you're called to it, there's a lot of data out there now. There's a lot of other people talking about it, and there's a lot to learn. I'm just one guy, and I was a slave, and I didn't have the Internet up there. I didn't have my own place. I didn't have a TV. There are people up there that were important. I was just slave labor. So there's a lot that I'm unaware of. You know what I mean? I just didn't have access. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people coming forward that have a lot of info. There's some fakes out there. Um, but just use your head, man. You guys aren't dumb. Anybody, yeah. you know, people aren't dumb. So I'll leave it at that. That's all I got, man. <laughs> Say, trust think in for yourself. yourself. You're not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Tr it trust it. You're not dumb. That's my words of wisdom. And uh, for anybody that wants to come find your book, they want to come find you, have contact with you, uh, where they come <clears> and find all, all your information? So I have a Patreon show because a lot of my videos that I did over 300 videos by now, and half of them are gone from YouTube. So I started a Patreon. I got Talks with Tony on Patreon. And there's a link to that off, off my website, TonyRodrigues.com. It's Rodrigues with an S at the end, TonyRodrigues.com. And there's a link to my book there, and you can contact me. There's an email. And I do consultations. I charge money now because I couldn't keep up with them all. It's like it takes your life over. But everybody, and when I do interview people, like, man, that sounds familiar. And they want to talk about it. And I sit down with people, and I kind of work. I think, now tell me what's weird and what happened to you. And I when. And I work out a timeline and we kind of, I kind of let them know how they are compared to other people that I've talked to. I've talked to a few, a couple thousand people have reached out to me saying that after they heard my show, heard me on a, on a show that they felt like they went through the same thing. And a lot of it, a lot of them, it's easy to check out you know, evidence. Some of them, but not so much. But anyhow, so the book is on there. I wrote the book. It's called series colony Cavalier. It's on Amazon. It was a bestseller for the first six weeks. And, you know, it's still selling. It's uh, a lot of people in it. I've got over like 400 and some reviews on Amazon. I I, I am very flattered and proud of of the reviews. People are very loving and awesome at the reviews. And I, I am very proud of that. Um, it, that's something that's um, like an achievement to me. But the people leave really, really kind reviews. But it's a good book. Uh, it reads fast and uh, it's on there. So it, it tells the whole story for me to be. It makes sense. A lot of people that come forward and talk, they don't have a linear story. A lot of people are putting together fragmented memories of being taken in these programs and they can't get them in a linear fashion. I'm a, I'm a, a because I was a slave and I didn't have so much happening to me. It was easy for me to recall because for many years I did the same damn thing. It was groundhog mm -hmm. day. So my story is in linear fashion. So it's, it's, it's good for that, for that, for somebody that's curious of what the hell it's like what's going on up there and i described a lot of things in detail that i never did in the interview so i'm proud of the book it, it took me six years to write the book it took six years and it's a short book it's not super it's a, like i said it's a fast read but it's like it was a, it's an emotionally dense book and it's not for the lighthearted. it's not a pg or even a rated r it's pretty bad yeah i say i want to dig into some of those questions but i wanted to leave it for the book i guess because it's a lot better for you to like paint your picture when you spend all that time doing it and uh, for everybody that's looking up the book, because um, I was trying to find it myself at first, and I was having issues. Um, series is spelled C-E-R-E-S, right? Yes, yep. series. Yeah, it's pronounced series, like television series, but it's C-E-R-E-S. 
and it, you can find it um you know on like any kind of night sky map you can there's a lot of info about it uh you know it's it's a it's a large the largest asteroid and it's in between mars and the asteroid belt on an oblong orbit so there's a lot of info about Ceres, but that's the place and it was weird that was another thing that when i got my memories back i remembered Ceres before i knew what series was and I, all of a sudden there was like i found it on the internet too like the dawn probe and i went wow there it is you know so it was the same experience i got the memories first and then i discovered it so and i've heard multiple references to that same name too so like you were saying with just a lot of people having different stories from going through the same experiences um everybody using the same name and not knowing each other and digging in later just kind of puts a little bit more push behind the story um of you know just people aren't just making up some random name spelled c-e-r-e-s out of nowhere you know mm -hmm. but um i appreciate you making the time to come on the show today man i had an awesome conversation with you and i loved hearing your story me too it was great man i uh i enjoyed it thanks for having me on and uh hopefully i can have you pop back on when you uh drop your next book or you know whenever you feel like coming back on and be more than happy <laughs> working on a second book so i published this one on the first of january and i'm trying to get the next one rush hurry because it's not going to be as elaborate but I got to tell you that <clears throat> it's a complicated book. So I'm working on it. I'm hoping to get it done by the end of the year, but I, I no guarantees. Yeah, I guess they'll have to follow you on social media, Patreon, whatever you happen to do just to get some updates on that. But that's definitely mm -hmm. something I'll be looking out for too, of course. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. Uh, for everybody that stuck around, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.